This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else. Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes With Purple. Uh, with me, Susie Dent. And with me, Giles Brandreth. And this week, we are back, Susie, in your kitchen. We are back in my kitchen. I'm very grateful that you come to me rather than the other way around. Well, it's been quite a week for me because I have been all over the place. And not just metaphorically, like the country. I have been literally all over the place. I have been to Edinburgh, to Inverness, to Manchester, to Birmingham, and to Chelmsford. All in the past five days. On tour? No, I've launched a new book. My okay. new poetry book, okay. which I'm getting a copy to you so that in a few weeks' time we can talk about it because I've made all these amazing discoveries about learning poetry by heart, the value of it, how it can delay dementia, that's what interests me, but also how it can improve your children's capacity with the English language, which will interest you. Mm. And it's all about learning poetry by heart and it's an anthology of 250 poems. And I've been trooping around. You've done this with books. It's basically a book tour. And we began at Toppings in Edinburgh and we've been going ever since. So it's been fun. But it means that, well, whatever day it is today, Tuesday, I'm in Tuesday, Oxford. it must be my kitchen. It must be your kitchen. How's your week been? Uh, my week has been uh, fine, actually. Thank you very much. Um, it's been it's been fun because I have been researching one of my favourite subjects, uh, clothes. We're going to talk about clothes today. We're, well, we are going to talk about clothes. And I have to say... I've noticed since I came into your house, in your house, as in my house, when visitors arrive, we are expecting to to take off shoes. And we do that at our house, uh, where I live, because uh, my wife and I, we have seven grandchildren, and some of them are little ones, and they're crawling around on the floor, so it seems sensible. So we take off our shoes, and we take off our shoes here at your house too. I have got now, not quite bare feet, I've got little socks on, very nice socks, actually. I got them on an aeroplane there, so they've got little logos on the side. Um, But you have got clogs on i have got clogs on i've got some really really comfortable would you call them clogs they don't make clatters on the on the floor clogs have had quite an important part in english language actually but we'll come to that um but yes i have i'm in my very comfort i guess they're just sort of almost slippers aren't they They're, they're slippers with great big heels are you somebody who is uh, clothes obsessed? No, I'm really not. When I say it's my fa- one of my favourite subjects, it's not for the reasons that I love wearing new clothes, because I really don't. And um, I'm in the enviable position of having a small budget from Countdown to buy clothes for the show. But actually, I hate shopping. I really, really hate shopping. So I will do it online, try stuff on and then send it back. But I'm beginning to realise that's not very eco-friendly. Um, well, I really, know, really hate it. I have, a, um, <laughs> I have an older woman in my life, and that is the actress Sheila Hancock. 
And she and I She did. dresses amazingly. She dresses. Doesn't she look good? Yeah, she, she dresses. And she will not mind me telling you this because she shares it with other people. She is 86, 87. She looks amazing. And she looks completely stunning. But she told me this week, uh, because we're doing something together on TV and a pretty people were saying, we'll get you this outfit. We'll get and she said, no, thank you. They said, well, we've got a bunch. She said, no, thank you. She said, I am a Quaker. And oh. I recently signed up to not buying any new, new clothes. clothes. There's a big movement to do the effort, actually, which is she great. Said, I, and she looks so stylish. And she, she dresses from second-hand shops. Yeah. But the reason it's one of my favourite subjects, apart from the fact that, linguistically speaking, clothes are intriguing. And we, again, we'll come to that. But also my whole family has worked in the textile trade. So I am a real anomaly. My dad was a textile agent. My sister went into fashion. Uh, two, both of my sisters went into fashion, actually. Um, so, yeah, I by going into words, I really bucked the trend. But let the side down. I was once uh, a director of a hand knitting wool company, and we had thirty-one shops. What have you not done, Giles Brandwith? Gradually, I closed them all down. Didn't quite work out. I got into hand knitting just as everybody else was getting out of it, because the advent of there was a time when uh, people knitted their school jumpers for their children, Mm -hmm. and then M and S came along and provided you with a beautiful jumper for your children to go to school in that didn't cost very much and didn't take hours to knit. Yeah. But when in the 70s and 80s I used to account for knitwear on television, which I did in order for it to be noticed, uh, I got involved in hand knitting and creating lots of jumpers. You can perhaps tell me which is correct. A jumper, when you're wearing a jumper, is it a jumper? Is it a sweater? Is it a Guernsey? Is it a jersey? What is it and why? All four. Or, or for you can, I mean, they're so interchangeable um, these days. Cardigans, obviously, everyone knows what a cardigan is. It's cardigan kind of named after Lord Cardigan? The Earl of Cardigan. The Earl of Cardigan, yes. who was in the Battle of... Um, he was... The Crimean War, The Crimean War, exactly right. So it was in the Crimean War and um, and the, the soldiers wore something which looked vaguely similar. Lots of clothes come from wars, actually. Balaclava, uh, another one. Um, and uh, cravat as well. Cravat oh. comes from Croat because it was worn by Croatian soldiers. Um, so, yes, surprisingly, we're going to look in with clothes. We're too. already learning something. That's very good. But would you say, essentially, that the right word for... I, I mean, I know a jersey has got a certain particular collar to it, made fashionable on the island of Jersey. Made fashionable on the island of Jersey, but I'm not even sure people make that distinction. And a Guernsey, people. I know, has got a high collar. Yes. And that does Thick come... wool as well. Yes, that does yeah. come from, from Guernsey. Of course. Why it comes from those two islands, I don't know. But, but but jumper and sweater. Mm. Is sweater more American? Definitely North American. Um, but, again, interchangeable. I call them jumpers. But I, think that's I call them jumpers too. And I wrote many years ago when I was an MP, a biography called Under the Jumper, because I was known for the jumpers, and it was you know, Under the Jumper. And they got a copy at the House of Commons Library because they get copies of all MPs' books, and I was an MP at the time. And they uh, filed it under Under the Juniper. They misread oh, it. I love that. They couldn't believe that anything we called <laughs> Under the Jumper. And it was a quotation from a poem by T.S. Eliot. Okay. Under the juniper tree. tree. Under the juniper tree, he said. It was a great, Actually, wonderful that's a, poem. That's and, but, under the juniper. <laughs> and it did very well as Under the Juniper, but it was actually called Under the Jumper. So when people bought it, flicked through and saw all these pictures of me in my funny jumpers, they possibly were disappointed. I love that. I think I prefer Under the Juniper. Okay. Um, I, the one thing I would like to mention before we go into anything else, because there's so many closed terms that we can discuss, but is how many hidden behind words that we use. So, What do you mean hidden behind? Hidden behind words such as robber. Robbers used to steal robes. So uh, they were... No. Yeah, because sumptuous clothes were obviously worth quite a lot. So they, they were sort of good booty, really. Um, and... 
it, 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 incidentally, nothing to do with boot. Oh. Um, so they, they might, you know, if somebody came and disturbed them, they might have to escape. And escape is from ex kappa, meaning out of one's cloak. No. So they would throw their cloaks off. Perhaps they were the stolen cloaks from the, from the house they just plundered and, and run off. This is already incredible. I love that. So robbing comes from robe, as in a grand robe, the people who stole those robes came to be known as robbers. Yes. So robbing a bank, daylight robbery, it all comes from robe. And escaping from the scene of the crime is literally getting out of your cape, your cap. Exactly, your Your kappa. Your kappa is something that goes over the head. No, kappa was your cloak, so it's linked to cape. Um, oh, so yeah, just throw out your cape and make cap, a run for as it. In head. So no, that goes back to caput, uh, C-A-P-U-T in Latin, which means head. So um, the cap on your head, the schoolboy or wearing caput, is yes. wearing a caput, and that's a head. Mm-hmm. But the cape on your shoulders comes from double double P kappa um, C A double P A again. That's Latin. Oh. Um, and dismantle to dismantle is to take your coat off. To invest is to put your vest on, literally. Or it was actually to um, put on your vestments rather than your uh, as, as in a church vest. vestment. Yes, or just you know your your sort of professional clothes. That's why we have an investiture. Um, and um, to invest in uh, stocks and shares, etc. The idea is that you're actually putting on. You're, you're sort of. Um, how can we say it? You're, you're actually kind of taking on something of um, of value. That's the idea, is that you're sort of putting on something valuable. Um, and you call these hidden? Well, no, I just think they're sort of hidden etymologies, really, because you never are. think that clothes are lurking behind words like this. Um, chaperone, another one. As in chapeau? Chaperone. No, not as in chapeau, but the same sort of cloak hat um, question, actually, because it actually goes back to chaperon, which was a cloak with a hood. Um, so if you think the ad for Scottish Widows, is it Scottish Widows? Mm, yeah. yeah. That kind of, you know, wonderful black flan cloak. And um, the idea really is that a chaperone would shield their um, protectees, so the people that they were looking after in the same way that a, a hood on a cape would shield your face. Do you know the story of the unfortunate man whose wife died on holiday when they were in the south of France? And he'd gone, they'd gone for a summer holiday wearing their holiday clothes. And unfortunately she died. And he discovered how expensive it was to bring her back to England. So he decided to have her buried locally, made all the arrangements. And then was, you know, he had this sort of sports gear. So he thought I'd better get a proper, you know, a hat and suitable morning clothes. So he went out and bought a suit and he couldn't find any, he couldn't find a hat anywhere. And his French wasn't very good. And so he thought, I know what the word is. It's capo, capo, as opposed to chapeau, okay. which is the word for hat. Yes. Capo is, of course, a, a French word for a prophylactic, what, right. what we call a French letter. Anyway, the poor man went to the uh, clothes shop and said, je veux un capo. And they said, oh, monsieur. <laughs> and they sent him anyway to the chemist. Anyway, uh, he arrived at the, the chemist's yeah. and um, he got to the front of the queue and he said, uh, je veux un capo. And they said, certainement, monsieur, certainly, sir. And then what he said, size? No, well, no, they didn't, no, <laughs> I don't think they said that. No, they did say, uh, then he said, well, oui, c'est important, je veux un capo noir. I want a black one. And the chemist said, un capo noir, monsieur? Uh, pour quelle raison? For what reason? And the man said, but parce que, because my, my, father, my wife, est morte, is dead. And the chemist said, ah, monsieur, quelle délicatesse. So that's my story <laughs> about chapeau and capo. Where did you pick this up? Uh, it's a true story. <laughs> it was told to me by uh, the relative of the person to whom it happened. So you are telling me that 
Chapeau, where were we? Chapeau is a hat. Chaperone. 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 So I guess it's, there's a sort of slight element of the hat. So it's the hood. The hood that protects the face as a chaperone would protect their, you know. Well, that may link to the capo, the same thing, being the prophylactic of being a kind of... Well, absolutely, it's a shield. It's a shield for the head, but of a different kind. Different yeah. kind. Moving swiftly. Moving back on. to clogs very quickly, yeah. we have sabotage, which I think most people know about. I don't know about sabotage. Okay, sabotage goes back to um, the French sabot, clogs. Um, yeah, lots and lots of theories about this. Some is that um, factory workers would throw their clogs into machinery um, when they were angry in order to um, break stop it and stop machine. work. But certainly in Northern England, clogs were absolutely standard. Everybody wore clogs. Yeah. They made wood, weren't they? They were. Uh, um, I mean, I know a little bit about it because many years ago, I wrote a biography of a man called Dan Leno. Have you heard of Dan Leno? I've heard of Jay Leno, but not Dan Leno. Interestingly enough, Jay Leno said to me when I met him, mm. oh, do you people say I may be related to Dan Leno? Do you think I am? And I said, well, I don't think you are uh, Jay Leno because I know that you changed your name from something else. You adopted the name Jay Leno, so you couldn't possibly be related to Dan Leno. Dan Leno, 120 years ago, was the most famous man in the British Isles. Oh, wow. After the king. Okay. He was the biggest entertainer of his day. Have you heard of Mary Lloyd, a musical singer? Mm-hmm. Basically, Mary Lloyd and Dan Lena were the two most famous stars in the British Isles in the year 1900. When Dan Lena died, there was an 11-mile-long queue of people processing to his funeral. Amazing. It was the front-page news. He was known as the, the King's Jester. Uh, uh-huh. People just adored him. And he was a pantomime dame, maybe talking about uh, dressing up, men dressing as women mm-hmm. in relation to language. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he had been... Champion clog dancer of the world. Oh. And clog dancing in those days was like tap dancing. Yes, of course. And before they invented shoes with taps on, people danced in clogs. And, of course, the clatter, clatter, clatter of the clogs sounded like tap dancing. And he became famous as a boy, as champion clog dancer of the world. Famous from the age of 40 to the age of 44, when he died, unfortunately, insane in a lunatic asylum. It may have been some kind of inherited syphilis. Nobody's quite sure. Mm. But isn't that funny? He would one day be the most famous man, without exaggeration, in the country. 120 years later, an educated woman like Susie Dent hasn't heard of him. No, I feel bad about that. Yeah. Okay. No, but it's, it's, that, it's a reminder to modern entertainers, you know? Mm, well. There we was. If you're listening, Jack Whitehall, <laughs> Dan Lena was the Jack Whitehall of his day. Mm. I don't have to say that because I've known Jack since before he was born. We're so blessed, Susie Dent and I, in that we know everybody. Not necessarily well. you well. know everybody. I, I know everybody. In the sense that I've met most of them in the lift at the BBC. <laughs> Some I claim to know. I, I was with uh, Miley Cyrus for all of 20 seconds. It was a very short lift journey. But I've been dining out of it for several <laughs> years. Because I did twerk. We twerked together. So she gave us the word twerk, didn't she? Miley she Cyrus. didn't actually give it to us. She's been in the dictionary for a while. But she definitely popularised it. She popularised it. Yeah. Okay. Let's not think about Back to twerking. Clothes. Back to clothes. Domino is another word. Um, just to finish my sort of, um, you know, words that conceal quite appropriately. The domino disguise, is an though. outfit worn by who? Yes, okay. so domino was originally um, a hood or habit that was attached to the cape of a priest. So it had a strong kind of religious um, context. And it comes from the Latin dominus, meaning lord or master. Um, so from that point of view. But is that a word used in relation to clothes now? Do people talk about... No, but they were like dominoes were, were the sort of high fashion of masquerades, if you look back to sort of 19th and 18th century. Um, and do you remember do you know Fanny Burney and her diaries? I remember Fanny yeah. Burney and her diaries. Um, she wrote admiringly of a Miss Strange who had a white satin domino trimmed with blue. So the domino effect was, you know, Is was pretty the, strong even then. In the game of dominoes? Yes. So the idea we think, it seems a bit far-fetched, isn't it? You know, the spotted tiles that we know in the game and the stylish masks. But the idea, I think, is that the back... 
the black back of these robes must have, uh, sorry, of the tiles must have brought to mind the um, the style and the traditional colour of these domino capes. Very good. So a domino was a cape. Yes. Domino's game may be based on the look of the cape. Yes. Very good. Exactly. Okay. Well, look, it's all too exciting. I've learned so much already. Can we take a very quick break? Okay. And after the break, I'll tell you about the incredible edible candy pants. The incredible edible candy pants? Yes. Oh, we'll be doing tongue twisters another week, but I'd love to know more about that. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Giles, the incredible edible candy pants. The incredible edible candy pants. Tell me more. Well, all I know is that in California, the 1970s, they hit the market, edible underwear, and uh, and they were a massive success. But they didn't last. They well, didn't clearly last. they didn't last for I a reason. But... I was in California at that time, and <laughs> I bought some. I also bought, which was very popular for a while, paper underpants. You would be amazing and would I lie to you? Um I mean, it's true, but it is, it is, no, this is fact. Uh, and I kept, What flavour were they? Because I happen the, to know. I can tell you what the flavour. Okay. Interestingly, there was a peppermint one. Apparently they were licorice. Oh, no. Those are the all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't licorice. They may have been licorice ones, but I got okay. the peppermint. Um, yeah, I did. Okay, let's I'd leave looking it for the rose hip. Maybe we should, because pants is such a big issue. There underwear. There's is a huge lexicon of underpants and underwear. So should we, in fact, dedicate an entire programme to underwear? I think we should. Okay. What I really wanted to ask you was this, because um, when I set off this morning to come and see you, my wife said to me, well, you're hardly dressed, dressed to the nines, are you? I said, mm. oh, dressed to the nines. Mm. That's an interesting phrase. Where else does that come from? I'll find out from Susie. Dressed to the nines. I wish I could give you the answer. Oh. Um, well, no, it's one of the big, the big etymological... Uh, debates really because nobody really knows why the nines but um the biggest theory that you will find is that it comes from the name of the 99th wiltshire regiment known as the nines who are apparently famous for their very pristine spot appearance but that reputation goes back to the 1850s as far as we know when in fact dressed to the nines is from the 1700s so it's unlikely from a date point of view but no one knows in some phrases like belt and braces it's obvious yeah the idea the origin of that it's because you've got a belt and a brace braces yes. speaking to, of belts to be and, and, talk, and uh, the one i didn't mention actually which i love um because i love roman history is succinct succinct goes back to a latin word for a belt um and succinct was first applied um or at least the latin version to togas that were kind of tucked up um above the belt and so made to look very kind of um neat and concise if you were so they would be hitched up so they weren't quite as long you're tucked up toga. so succinct you're succinct yeah isn't that great that is amazing. Yeah. So it means that be succinct, put it all in together, yeah. be brief. Oh. And we've talked before about how candidate goes back to the white togas worn by 
political candidates. So that goes back to candidates meaning white. So togas came in there anyway. Sorry, I'm slightly obsessed with togas. No, that's good. <laughs> Cloak and dagger? Cloak and dagger is a um, an anglicisation of a French phrase, which was de cap et d'épée, so of cloak and sword. And it was just applied to those kind of melodramas involving intrigue and espionage and that kind of thing. So and we so got that from the French. Literally a cloak and a sword, or cloak exactly. and a dagger. Exactly. And you're creeping Relative. about the stage. Very good. Yes. Um, what about giving somebody a dressing down? Dressing down, yeah. That just became a byword for a sort of drubbing or a kind of scolding. Um, and it was used metaphorically pretty much from the start. There was no down in it to begin, uh, to begin with either. It was just a dressing. You would give somebody a dressing. Um, well, I want uh, not to disagree with you because mm. you know best, but I remember seeing a film many years ago about uh, Dreyfus, the, the French soldier, who there was anti-Semitism yeah. and he basically was cashiered from the French army and under false accusations. And there's a moment when he is cashiered and he comes onto the parade ground and, as I recall, his sword is broken and his pips on his shoulders, mm. the badges, are mm. stripped off him. Yes, yeah, it might be a So it's a kind of public yeah. undressing of him to yeah. humiliate him. Mm-hmm. Could that be to do with dressing down? It might well be. I People mean, have said to me over the years, oh, Charles, you're all mouth and trousers. Mm. What on earth does that mean? It's funny. I had always heard it as all mouth and no trousers. Oh, I think that's different. Well, I no, think it's the same. that's all talk and no trousers. Yeah, no, all talk. Oh, she was all talk and no trousers. You know, meaning that it was a fur coat on the outside, but oh, nothing underneath. All, mm. Yeah, we'll do so. I'm, I'm trying to no do no my impressions of uh, the late Les Dawson. Um, you know, hoisting my. Uh, cleavage. You're supposed to be, yeah, yeah well, thank you. For, um, all mouth and trousers, in your view, what is your business? Okay, so I, I was familiar with the no trousers thing, but in fact, the OED has all mouth and trousers coming first. Um, goes back to the 1960s. Um, I think the idea might be of um, testiculating, as Rick Waitman once told me, and I love the word to just testiculate. Testiculate. Yes, and my daughter's just walked in at a really inappropriate time because testiculate means to talk bollocks, basically. So I think the idea is. Is that the trousers are simply an empty cover for something with no substance within them and that they've got no cojones. Uh, I think that's the idea, that all mouth badges have got nothing to back it up. Fine. Yes. All mouth and no trousers. Yes. Very good. Well, we have had people writing into us, haven't we? I ought to explain. People get in touch with us via purple at something else, something without a G, dot com, purple at something else dot com. And I think among this week's haul was somebody asking a fashion question. Yes, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Simran Hans. And what's the the really? Um, Hi, Giles, and Paul. I was watching Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo for the hundredth time the other day, and it is a brilliant film, and was struck by the scene in which Jimmy Stewart and and Kim Novak are in a department store dressing room watching a series of models trying on versions of Madeline's grey suit. They're strutting, catwalking even, which caused me to wonder, where does the word catwalk come from? Um, While you're researching that, or maybe you know straight away. I think I do. Well, no, I think this is one I do Means know. I can't tell my Jimmy Stewart story. Well, I love Jimmy Stewart. Let me answer this and then let's hear about Jimmy Stewart. I think it's simply because it's a narrow walkway, a narrow platform along which the models strut. And, of course, cats are renowned for... Oh, cats walking along the wall. Yeah. So it's, it's all narrow. How walks. interesting. So we'll create a cat walk, like a, a narrow walk. Yeah. When does it go back to? Early 20th century? Um, no. Um, well, 1917... It was, in fact, the narrow, a narrow passage in the interior of an airship, according to the OED. Um, but there is a reference in 1885 to a slip of the garden at the back of catwalks. That's more of a literal catwalk. Um, but, yeah, so it's been with us over a century. 
Yeah. Now, I was just, you mentioned, or rather she mentioned uh, James Stewart, and since I'd met him, and you know I'm rather partial to names. You really have met everybody. I, I thought I would just mention that. He was hugely tall. That's all oh, really? I really remember about him. My mum. Hugely tall. He probably still is massively in love with Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy Stewart films. With good reason. Great. Yeah. And there was and Gregory something, maybe it was because I was so young, or maybe it was because of that golden era of Hollywood. There was something extraordinary about him, the phenomenon. Mm. The fact that he was so tall, he was so elegantly mm. suited, effortlessly elegantly suited, completely amazing. Uh, so appearance does count, while name-dropping. And suit, incidentally, goes back to the French. Suit, because it's a sequence of clothes that you put on. Sorry, just thought I'd throw that in boring. You can. Here is a sort of fashion-related question. It's from Thomas Langford. I've got a question for Susie. A friend recently said she was dressed head-to-head in designer labels instead of head-to-toe. Is this a malapropism, an egg corn, or something else? As a neuroscientist, says Tom, I would say this is a semantic error, but want to hear what a lexicographer would call it. She was dressed head-to-head. Hmm. Um, I'm. I'm with. I'm not sure who it was who wrote Thomas it. Langford. Thomas. I'm with Thomas on this. I think it's a semantic slip, and we often change expressions uh, to the point where they become nonsensical. But somehow we don't notice it because it's so gradual. So we'll talk about head over heels, but actually head over heels is the normal way up, isn't it? And it used to be heels over head. Um, likewise, you might say um, it's cheap at half the price. Well, yes, it is cheap at half the price. Or at least it's certainly cheaper. It used to be called cheap at twice the price. Um, and there, there are various sort of errors like that. Talking um, 10 to the dozen, it's 19 to the dozen, but a lot of people talk 10 to the dozen now. Um, so we often do this with language without noticing it, and I think it's one of those. Head to head doesn't really make sense. Doesn't make sense. No. 10 to the dozen. I rather like the idea of talking 10 to the dozen. <laughs> Dear Susie and Giles, ever since I was a small girl, says Alison McCarthy, I remember my parents using the term slugger bed for when oh, one was slow to get out word. of bed in the morning. I, love I passed the term down to my daughter, but I've always wondered about its origin. Any ideas? Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Alyssa McCarthy from Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, amazing. Isn't that amazing? Thank this you. Is a, this is a global, we are a global podcast. And if you do like it, please do tell your friends, spread the word. Like I would just say also, I'm really, really touched by all the tweets and the letters that I've seen. And I know, Giles, you are too. And they do actually mean a lot. So we're generally not taking them for granted. And yeah, thank You're you. You're touched. I'm chuffed. What's yes. the origin of chuffed? Is chuffed, it to do I with the bird? Yes, just to do with the bird sort of, um, I think, just... Being fluffing out its feathers. Fluffing out its being feathers. Being happy. Yes, I was very chuff. inarticulate there. No, it's not a good word. No, it's and it's also, uh, chuff was also um, a cheek that was puffed out with fat. So if you'd, if you'd sort of had a good So if you're uh, happy, you're all, meal, you're all meal, puffed you're up all and chuffed. excited. Exactly. So thank you for making us feel chuffed. Slug yes, I'm sorry I didn't I have to say, well. I have I accused it. my children and my grandchildren of being slug beds. Sometimes, yes, because uh, I don't know why, I have this sort of, I feel that the whole world needs to pull its socks up. We're all slugger bedding all the time. So I'm a bit sloomy. Yes. I'm using this phrase. Shakespeare first used it, as far as we know, or at least he certainly popularised it. Um, 1599, Romeo and Juliet, um, a slugger bed. So it's somebody who lies in bed through laziness, somebody who herkle durkles. I'm sure that's been one of my trio before, herkle durkle to lie in bed long after it's time to get up. And yes, it's simply that. It's somebody who's limacious, i.e. slug-like, and just basically slobs in bed. What does limacious mean? Limacious means slug-like. What, why does it mean slug-like? Because lim, 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 lim. Well, it is literally applied to slugs. So they might leave a limaceous trail across the garden path. But I like to that. apply it to humankind, especially myself. This is the reason, if you're listening to this, we do this programme, because we believe that language is power. We want to extend your vocabularies. And I expect people to be saying, oh, oh, it was a limaceous trail that he left. 
Boy, that slug-like fellow. I love it. Lamacious Trail. Lamacious, L-I-M-A-C-E-O-U-S. That's very good. Very good. Right. Susie, we've got so much to pack in. We have to do pants another week because I want your trio. My trio. Okay. These are, if you're new to this podcast, what happens every week is that Susie gives us three words. We may be familiar with them already, but perhaps not know something about them, or they may be words with which we are unfamiliar. What have you got in your trio bag? Well, we just talked about being a slugger bed. Um, if you are feeling very lazy, perhaps hungover, can't stand the thought of human company, you might want to latibulate. Latibulate. Sounds a little bit rude. It means simply to hide in a corner. And how does it get to mean that? Uh, it, because it simply comes from Latin. I think it's had one um, one record in the OED, which, is, I, which I love. And um, it simply, we go back to this. Yes, one, litibulate, privily to hide oneself in a corner. Um, and it simply goes back to the Latin, um, latibule, which is a hiding place. A hiding place is a latibule? Yes. I'm nipping off to the latibule. Yes. Yes. You know... Another person you won't have heard of, given you didn't hear, hadn't heard of Dan Lino or Ellen Terry. Oh, have you heard of Ellen Terry? A Victorian actress called Ellen Terry. I'd love to say yes, but... Anyway, she was in a play and she was playing, I think it was The Many Wives of Windsor. Off she ran, ran off the stage. She was supposed to say, let us go and find a cosy nook. And she, and said, good. she said, let us go and find a nosy cook. Oh. Cosy nook, nosy cook. I like that. I love nook, though. That's nice. Anyway, um... Okay, this is a nice one. If you've had a bad day, I will, I will return to something cheerier in a minute. But if you've had a sort of difficult day, maybe it's quaffed maybe you want to have a little drink, you will then experience recipiscence. Recipiscence? Okay, nothing to do with alcohol. Recipiscence. R-E-S-I-P-I-S-C-E-N-C-E. And it means simply the return to a better state of mind. Very good. Say yes. it again. Pronounce it again. Recipiscence. Recipiscence. I feel recipiscence. Very good. Yeah, which I like. This is a nice one. Um, hopefully we can all describe ourselves as this. It doesn't actually sound particularly attractive, but the meaning is nice. Osculable. Osculable. It means able to be kissed. Oh. Yes. I know because osculatory exactly. is under the lips, isn't it? Exactly. An osculatory motion when you pucker up your lips. Isn't it funny? I keep meeting people with huge lips. On the train coming here today, on the train coming here today, Mm. there are people sitting near me, the most amazing lips you've ever seen. Mm. I didn't think, to be honest with you, that it was entirely natural. And I know because of knowing you, one shouldn't make personal remarks, but I have to say (laughs) these lips were huge. Yes, lips and brows seem to be the thing at the moment. I I had no time to get up to the brows. I was fixated by these massive lips. Mm. This is supposed to be fashionable, is it? I think so. I think so, yes. So it's Um, an osculatory work. Yeah, possibly a disaster. <laughs> An osculatory job. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Putting emulsion into the osculatory passages. <laughs> anyway, osculatory is lips. And yes. what was the word? Oscu- osculable. Osculable. Able to be kiss- so kissable. Kissable. Yes. Osculable. I tried to put all these words onto my uh, blog on my website. Oh, yes, so if you want you. A, a record of them. Look, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, don't please forget to give us a nice review, recommend us to a friend. And as you know, if you've got a question, we will do our best to answer it in a future podcast. It's purple at something else.com. The something doesn't have a G in it. No, and Something Round with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Paul Smith with production also from Lawrence Bassett, Steve Ackerman and... Gully! If you told me you were going to wear your gym jams, I'd have worn mine. (laughs)